Well, happy Advent, everyone, and thanks for coming back to Wondering Toward Wisdom, uh, part of the TF Radio uh, podcast network. Um, in this episode, uh, Joel and I talk about Advent. We talk a little bit about Brett Weinstein's tweet about uh, Jesus, the Son of God versus moral teacher and so forth. Um, but I just wanted to give a heads up uh, on a couple of things. First of all, the recording on this is pretty poor. Uh, we've had some uh, some recording kinks we've had to work out. Uh, we've got it nailed down so that next week everything should be good. But this the the audio is a little messy in this, so uh, I apologize for that. Uh, if it's troublesome, just uh, skip. Um, also, I think we're going to be taking uh, probably about the month of January off. Uh, from producing any podcast. So uh, if you are an avid listener, uh, then uh, don't worry, we'll be back. Uh, we're just going to take a couple of weeks off, a couple of four weeks off. So um, anyway, uh, if you are interested in, in what we do, would like to be a part of our ministry by, uh, it, well, in any way, partnership uh, in any way that you'd like, please check out, check out tacticalfaith.com. Uh, but with that, please enjoy. Welcome back to Wondering uh, Towards Wisdom. I'm Joel. <laughs> and I'm Travis. Oh, I'm taking a drink of coffee. <laughs> we, we both drink coffee while we do this. Um, we, you know, if, if it, any uh, coffee roasters are out there that want to uh, advertise on our podcast, we, we, we would love to uh, to talk to you. But in all seriousness... Um, <laughs> Uh, to let you know what's coming up uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, faith and Advent. Next week, we're going to talk about incarnation and, and faith, uh, trying to kind of tie things up in this faith series that we've been doing. Uh, but in you know, with a podcast like with the name of "Wandering Towards Wisdom," I, things are never going to be completely wrapped up. So we're probably going to be revisiting things throughout the. Um, future podcast but we're gonna we're gonna take a break from posting for a few weeks and um in the new year we'll jump back on this and uh, have more content for you so today we're going to talk about faith and advent and um as we were preparing for this podcast we uh talked about four or five six different ways that we wanted to kind of set this up and um what, it, what, what we kept coming back to was um, what, what, what's the value of faith as far as um, hope and expectation and, and not, not or, or what, what does it look like depending on how we think of faith to have hope, to, ha- to be an expectation for, to, to prepare uh, for the coming of Jesus. Um, and so uh, today we're going to look at a couple different ways that we've uh, talked about um, faith, both the bad views and the good views, and how they um, how how they handle uh, the idea of Advent. Right, and one of the things that uh, in, uh, by the time this podcast comes out, this is going to be a little bit old um, uh, in terms of uh, social media world. Uh, things get old real fast. Um, but uh, a, guy, a guy that I appreciate, uh, Brett Weinstein, uh, posted something uh, 
about the hashtag um, uh, the, that was trending for a while on Twitter. Uh, it was Jesus is the son of God hashtag. And uh, his criticism of it was something he basically made the classic, uh, the classic argument that it would be good to see Jesus as a moral teacher, but it's not, it wouldn't be, but it's, it's divisive and troubling to see Jesus as a, as the son of God, as bringing in this sort of miracles side to it. And the comments he made um, in response to some of the criticisms um, is, is this, I'm just going to read the quote. This is from uh, number 21st. He said, we won't survive if we don't figure out how to govern global processes. And we can't discuss that question so long as most of the world is laboring under the misapprehension that the universe loves their village most of all. The universe is equally indifferent to everyone. And so, of course, the idea is that this, that making reference to, I think he uses the term magic, these magic claims of Jesus, and which begins with Advent, right? The recognition that something has changed. Right, that Christ's coming changes something, which is a that's a whole con idea we probably need to talk about at some point, uh, maybe today a little bit. That something has changed or, with the coming or, or next week. What's that? <laughs> or, or next week. Or next week. Yeah, but something has in fact changed, um, which is a really interesting element of Christianity. But something has changed, and something, uh, something beyond what the physical sciences would tell us could happen is taking place. Um, that he believes that that needs to be set aside so that we do not believe that one group is more loved than another or better. Uh, one section is more liked than the other. Cause that will keep us from being able to work together internationally uh, on a, on a global stage. And in a world where we have nuclear weapons and the possibility of, uh, biological terrorism and the possibility of, you know, destroying entire grids and AI that wipes it, whatever, that kind of stuff, we, we might end up actually killing ourselves as a species. And so the threat is we need to get rid of these, these magic distinctions that pull us apart. What we, what we might call, call a tribalistic view of gods, of the gods, I'm just going to say the gods for now, uh, or a God, uh, that, that divides us that needs to be got rid of so that we can talk about the morality that underlies it so if you want jesus to be a moral teacher according to brett weinstein i hope you will set aside he says the quote-unquote magic part of part of it and again I'm not, i don't want to be harsh on weinstein he's fantastic and if you continue to read he's he reflected over the next week or two on this and uh and i think he came about in some ways I haven't been following it closely um but anyway, if we don't set aside those magic, those quote unquote magic things that divide us into tribes, we will end up, we could very well end up destroying ourselves, um, if not perpetuating war and division among people. So we're coming on Advent, a, a miraculous season that is second only to Easter itself. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I should say. I don't know if I'm going to say second only, but Easter rising from the dead is kind of a big deal. Uh, but God Church. becoming flesh is a pretty big deal. Um, so uh, yeah. what do we, what do we do with that? So we're looking at Advent. We're talking yeah. a little bit about faith and I want to reflect a little bit on what Weinstein is saying here. Um, and if it's Weinstein, I'm sorry, I'm just pronouncing it like a German would. So um, I guess I'd say Weinstein, whatever, but uh, uh Looking at it, 
looking at these things, how, how does faith, so what is the view that Weinstein has here? How does that relate to our idea of faith and the relation, its relationship to science? And should we just be, I mean, obviously the, the answer to this is no as Christians, but should we just be seeing Jesus as a moral teacher? Are, are his moral teachings, this is actually a thing that Christians might have, are his moral teachings and his power as the son of God, are those in fact distinct and unrelated elements? Like the moral teaching is the icing on the cake to the magic that he did to save us. Uh, they can be separated. Um, yeah, you get saved, and then if you want to become a better person, then follow his moral teachings. But you can't do anything to be saved, and you're justified by faith alone, not by works, so that no one can boast. So therefore, works have absolutely nothing to do with being saved, which is true. But Jesus' moral teaching isn't about works. Right. So this... We've talked about how faith is a valued perception of the world. We've talked about how even seeing other persons involves engaging values that you have, using your imagination to engage so that you see something that is in fact there beyond what you passively receive. Now we have God appearing before us in Advent. How, how does that relate to the moral teaching? Or how does that relate to this whole question of how we perceive? So this is, it's kind of an open-ended question, but I just need to shut up and let Joel say something. Uh, what are your <laughs> thoughts on all this? There we go. That's an open-ended question. So, yes. Um, so when we talk about faith, um, you know, we've talked about, like Travis said, we've talked about it as a valued perception uh, we've talked about it as as a kind of trust or, or confidence um, that that is connected to action, and um, I think um, you know we, we've talked about how faith, how how a, a a bad view of faith is one that's just about uh, feeling confident in the propositions that you hold to be true. Um, now. I think it might be helpful if we um, kind of flesh out a little bit what each view of faith kind of points toward in this discussion and what kind of view of God that, 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 that they point toward um, and why um, Weinstein um, might be right on one view of faith, but wrong on another. Right. This is good. Now you're bringing it together. Okay, so so let's so one view of faith is simply uh, well, there's we could say there's three views of faith. First of all, and and two of them actually share they share the same definition of faith, but they just have different values in terms of what faith is. So uh, there's let's start let's start with with the way that we normally think about faith as religious believers, and that is faith is believing the right propositions about the nature of the world. Well, not that what we believe as religious, but but what is commonly tossed about. Yeah, maybe about. I should say that. What what we commonly say. Let's say, yeah, I need to be careful about how I say this um, because I'm criticizing myself here. When I talk about criticizing Christians, I'm actually criticizing something, stuff of I, I've had going on in my mind since I was became a believer. So um, uh, faith is a confident assertion about a proposition that says something about the world. Now, what a 
the criticism of that is you it's purely wishful thinking. You want it to be the case that there is a God because God is a crutch or God is your daddy, your, your, your sky daddy, as some people say, that makes you feel comfortable with the fact that life is painful and you're all going to die. And it makes you feel like that's okay. Um, uh, uh, the, the problem is I think both re- a lot of religious people and a lot of anti-religious people or science uh, glorifying people, the kind of, when I say that, what I mean is someone who thinks that all the ants, all truth comes through is, should be filtered through science and science is the only, is the final say in all things. Um, and, and all that there is, what, what sometimes yeah, we'll call, call it scientism. I don't know what to call the people who do it. Cause you can't call them scientists, scientismists. Um, but the glorifiers <laughs> of science, particularly in this way, uh, which, by the way, no one is actually a scientismist, not in everyday life. They might do it when they're arguing with you, but in everyday life, nobody is like that. And, and I think the smart people recognize that. Even Weinstein's not that way, uh, but he sounds like he's getting close to that with some of these comments. But uh, but so that, that perspective on faith, what kind of God does one believe in when one holds that view of faith? Well, well, I, I, I mean, if it's about the propositions, then that God can be the God that 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 one one holds to in that view. Um, it can be reduced to propositions. That if we ha- just have all the propositions, and we have the right amount of confidence, then we 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 get God. And the, if we if yeah. we don't understand God because we lack either propositions or we lack confident a certain level of confidence in our propositions. Yeah, and so here's the interesting element about it. Um, they both seem to have a perspective that what and this this gets a little bit this gets tricky. So I want to be sort of careful here, but I think they they both have a view that that knowledge is objective, in the sense of being of we're passive receivers of this knowledge, uh, of this information. It's just that the scientismist claims that we should allow no value to play into what we perceive. So I simply sit back and experience washes over me and then I organize it and I write a science book. We get physics, we get chemistry, we get biology, so on and so forth. Um, uh, the faith, the person who holds this view of faith but likes faith seems to think that, well, no, I, I believe because God has acted upon me and given me belief in these propositions. Um, but it still seems to be a concern with objectivity. And here's the reason why, here's the reason why I say that. Um, there's no, from, from faith itself comes no recognition of what kind of God there is. So I could be a Christian. I could be a Muslim. I could be a Zoroastrian. I could be, I could be a Greek polytheist. I could be a Norse polytheist. I could be any kind of, because with that view of faith, you can believe anything there is to believe about, about the gods. It's just based on whatever you believe yourself to be passively receiving. But in fact, your, your, your values are engaged, right? So uh, I teach, I, I've taught philosophy of religion at a secular university, and I've seen people argue that polytheism is in fact better than theism. I've seen guys, and it seems to be particularly a thing in the military, who are becoming, who are starting to follow some of the Nordic religions, uh, 
because it makes more sense of the world that they've experienced, a world of violence and and that sort of thing, a, a world of the of the warrior, right? And so um, that sounds to me like it's it's open to the criticism of faith as as merely a kind of claiming to be a passive reception, but is in fact a creation of a God in one's own image, I guess I would say that much of a use of value. Well, we, we should maybe uh, get a little more clear on our, on this idea of a passive observation, because as you've heard us talk about in previous podcasts, there's no such thing as a truly passive observation. No, no observation where you just receive the information. Uh, our brains can't do that. Um, our, our brains naturally filter out things for us. Um, you know, so, you know, if you, if you, um, you know, next, you know, if you're doing Christmas shopping and you're in a crowded store, your brain is not remembering every single face of every person you're seeing. It, it's, it's filtering things out for you. So you're, you're not passively receiving, you know, you're not just receiving things. Your brain's already done some of that for you. And then just, and, and, and you can actually train your brain as to what your brain's going to filter out and, and all that. But what we're what we're saying when the passive is is kind of that initial observation the the initial impression that you get the things that that stand out to you in in your um when you see something it's that you don't have to um you don't have to dig around um you don't have to uh work hard to see you don't have to try to see something else it's just kind of what you naturally get when you look at something but remembering that it's through a filter with your values at some level already yes and so when you look at the world what do you see well if you've been in 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 horrible military situations what have you been trained to see and trained to recognize um and i've talked to a guy who a friend of mine who, you know, has struggled a little bit with PTSD and he talks about, you know, going, he t told me about going shopping. He's going shopping with his family. He's in an aisle in the middle of the aisle and he sees this is a kill zone and, and stress starts building up in him because he, he, now is he in danger of being shot? Well, very, 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 very little danger of being shot there. But nevertheless, the stress builds up and that stress comes out in anger yes. and frustration. And suddenly he's angry at his family and they don't know why. Like, what's going on here? We're just shopping. But he's been trained to perceive things a certain way. And so when I look at, if I'm going to talk about God, particularly in terms of what we might call a natural theology, right? What's natural theology? It's arguing from the world to God, you might say, from the, the stuff we all know about the world, the stuff we all experience to God. Well, then when I look at the world, I filter the world based on my experiences. So if I've had, if I've had a bad childhood, even if I've just had a bad day, I perceive everything around me in, in under the cloud of bad dayness, bad mood, right? Somebody with a bad mood, somebody in a, with a bad mood and somebody in a good mood when they, they can perceive the same thing and have precisely opposite reactions yeah. because they're seeing different things about it. In fact, we just had a conversation with a guy last night where he's talking about raking leaves to the curb and how, because the, the city will come uh, and and suck them up in these in these locations. But he's talking about how when people do that, they just rake it to the curb and they don't bag it up. The leaves blow all over everyone else's yards and they have to clean up there. And they said, that's just annoying. Um, on the other hand, those they don't, people don't use bags because that's producing plastic and so, so forth. But in any case, 
uh, there's different ways of perceiving it. And when you look at it, you're looking at them, you're looking, you're the values that you are, you are concerned with come out and play a role in that. So when we're talking about God in terms of a natural theology, what do you see when you look at the world? And there are the aggravating religious people that to me are aggravating who are the eternal optimists who are just, everybody's dying around them. The world is going down in flames. And it's like, isn't God just so good all the time? And I'm like, I mean, I have to say God is good because that's a metaphysical <laughs> truth, but I'm, but the, uh, but it doesn't like, if you've been accustomed to see the, the glass is half empty, then, you, then you're more likely to, to project those negative elements toward God. And if you're more likely to see, to see things as really, really happy, you're more likely to see God as sort of a Santa Claus figure. Both of those are wrong perspe- perceptions, yes. by the way, I think. Uh, but they're based on the values that we hold and what we've accustomed ourselves accustomed ourselves to seeing. Because we look at the world, and if we're going to look at the one behind the world, we project what we see in the world upon that one. That's why the problem of evil is so uh, intractable in terms of people's minds. Yeah. We can deal with the logical problem of evil pretty easily. But the problem of evil is not solved by mere logic. Because the issue is isn't a logical issue. At least yeah, I mean, I, I've I've taught the uh, um, planning as you know defensive or solution to the problem of evil, and um, in a philosophy of religion class at a Christian school, uh, where a lot of these kids were training to be uh, pastors of some sort, and we got to the end, and um, I could tell no one was completely satisfied, and I pushed a little bit, and it came out that well while this might intellectually satisfy me, this is not something I could tell one of the people in my church and do any good for him. And I'm like, very true. And so that, well, yeah. So we, you know, I tried to do stuff beyond just the logical stuff to try and engage more, but that's, that's, that's the whole problem of evil. It's, it can't just be logic. And that's so much of our experience of God is, it doesn't. You can't distill God down to propositions and fully capture who God is. Part of that's because God is a per, is three persons. God is triune, and so you can't reduce person a single person down to a set of propositions. And so there's no way you could do that with three persons that are one being. And this brings us directly to Advent, right? I mean. Yes. What's the importance of God becoming God becoming flesh? Well, it's a sign, first of all, and here's the real troubling thing. N.T. Wright brought this up in the in the talk that I had uh, that I just attended recently here. Um, uh, but the way to know God is through an historical figure, not mere reasoning about God. Because the passive ration or what we normally think of as passive, but pure reason ration, rationalizing about God has no place for historical events, historical changes, because right. truth is truth. It's always truth. It's, you know, and so whatever I perceive about God and however God is relating to the world has never changed. There's nothing different ever. Nothing, nothing changes. Truth is truth. Um, and I think that's true. I mean, two plus two equals four, whether God becomes flesh or not. But our our understanding of God, what, what's actually kind of going on here is that our 
God has recognized that we're incapable of recognizing who God is fully until God becomes flesh. And so the idea Jesus didn't become flesh because, I mean, well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but it's not just to be an example to us, right? If he's just a moral teacher who gives us a moral example, that's just not sufficient. Um, we have moral exemplars, right? We have tons of them. Um, uh, I mean, they all kind of fail, but we know where they fail. So we don't necessarily need Jesus to come as a moral exemplar, but maybe there's something about the way that Jesus lives that tells us who God is. And we need that because, or we need God to break in and, and say, reasoning about me isn't sufficient. That tower of Babel is going to get you up to the sky, but it's not going to give you any truth. Or at least not the ultimate truth. And, 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 you know, I think we'll get into this more next week when we talk about the incarnation, but there's something significant about the life of Jesus. And, and I say this as someone who absolutely loves the creeds. You know, I, I very passionately love the creeds, but the failure of the creeds is, is that they don't talk about the life of Jesus. Jesus is born and then he dies and he rises again. But that's how most Christians really think about Jesus. We don't talk about his life and, and the way he lived and the things he did because it's like, what does it have to do with me getting saved? Well, that tells us who God is. Jesus' life tells us who God is. And, you know, I don't want to ruin our our incarnation podcast next week, but, you know, this is something that we have to, to keep in mind that, that, you know, we're dealing, when we talk about the triune God, it's not a set of propositions. It's a, it's three persons, one being. And persons are, are, are things that you, Persons you have relationships with, and you don't, you know, and, and it's not a matter of there's something to be observed and understood, but you do something with with respect to persons. Yeah. It, it, it's so the difference between persons and dead matter is persons care, right? And that's that's that. Well, that's a difference. There's more. There's more than that. Yes. But that's that's one. At least I would say a necessary. A condition of being a person is you're the kind of thing that cares, that cares about stuff. Um, and when we watch Jesus, we watch the way that he lives, we see a big part of what God cares about, right? And that's manifest perhaps most fully in the fact that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead. But it also manifests in the way that he lives his life and uh, that that whole that whole issue about how the creeds just leave out the life of Jesus is actually fascinating. Um, I know N.T. Wright wrote some stuff about he talks about that as well. Uh, his book how how God became King uh, brings up that issue, and he says it's not really the creeds aren't really bad. By the way, that's not what, what we're saying is that the creeds are the, are where are our dirty laundry. These are the things that people disagreed upon in the past, and so we had to we had to write them out and say this is what you're supposed to believe about these things. People didn't disagree about, about about Jesus's life, unless you read some of the Gnostic Gospels or whatever. Where Jesus is, I don't know, making kids go blind because they were mean to him or something, which is complete nonsense. Um, but uh, but so let's. I want I want to I want to try to pull this back to Weinstein because we're talking about Advent. We're talking about awaiting the coming of the King. Um, we're talking about things changing in history, and it. And I think most of the people's, my sense was always that a God who works in history is sort of like a tribal God, 
right? Who were the gods that did a bunch of stuff in history? Well, Zeus, you know, he came down and, you know, slept with some women and whatever, you know, those aren't the kinds of gods you value. What you got, what you value is the God who stands way over high above is untouched by anything is uninvolved in history and is the same yesterday, today, and forever in passive. And yet is somehow determining all of history at the same time. Yes. But, but yeah, but purely in turn, like history has no impact on God, right? That that would, that would be the view that, that I would have because if history has an impact, then God can get mad and God can, God can pick favorites and God can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then what Weinstein is saying is in fact accurate. And yet, right. And some of you are probably, if you know, if anybody's listening here, and if you're <laughs> particular bent in certain theological issues, you're probably like, nothing you've said is false. That's precisely how it is. Um, but there's something, there's something sort of off. There's something off about this perspective. The words I'm saying might not be completely inaccurate, but the way we're perceiving them might be a little. What, bit off. what it comes down to is, if. God can be reduced to propositions such that, and then the goal and faith is a matter of having the right propositions, the right amount of confidence in those propositions. Then the goal, then the way that faith works itself out is through more understanding. That's either getting more right propositions or getting more confidence in those propositions. And what does that mean for, for the way you live your life? Frankly, it doesn't require anything. And what becomes most important is getting the right propositions and having the right confidence. And so if someone, if you run into someone who has different propositions or, or, or different confidence in different things, then your goal is to show them how they're wrong because it's not a matter of anything but having the right propositions and making sure everyone else has the right propositions and the right confidence as well. Right. And even the demons have the right propositions. Exactly. And apparently enough confidence to be real nervous about it. Um, <laughs> so, so that's, I mean, again, what we are commanded, the two greatest commandments are to know information about God and know information about your neighbor with all your heart, mind, and soul. All right. No, it's love God and love your neighbor. That's what it is. Um, and so, uh, which of course means that you have to believe that God exists, right? That's sort of a given. Um, and we could talk about that because there's right. an argument to be made that there's no such thing as an atheist. Um, let's not. Yeah, there's just people That's who like God and people who don't. But and and there's a good there's a reason. I actually, I'm not just saying that to be cheap and throw cheap shots at atheists. I think there's actually a, a good argument that could be made that that's that that's the case. But I don't know if we'll ever get into that. Uh, maybe on the, probably on the blog. But uh, uh, the idea is that. Uh, what I want to actually want to pick, I want to go back to, to Weinstein because because this idea of having the right propositions, having the right belief, brings in no element of no element of uh, of of having the right values in relationship to it. So I'll make one quick point: um, What kind of God is a tribalistic God? Well, uh, and I just want to appeal back to the Euthyphro, and if you if you want to read the blog and listen to the podcast on those, that would probably help give some background. But if you believe that the world, as the sophists do, and as the scientists do, and as Weinstein stated right out, that 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 there is, that that the universe looks upon of all, on all of us with equal indifference, which means the universe itself gives no value. The universe itself contains no value except what we give. 
the problem with that perspective is the only solution to the only way that we could ever get global governance is by threat of death. Because that's one thing we all share. Most of us don't want to die, right? That's a almost universal human desire is not to, but I would say it's universal, but there's some people who override that natural desire to not die based on misery and so on and so forth. But it's, it's essentially a universal desire to not die, just like it is for all creatures and maybe even plants. And so uh, what kind of God is a tribalistic God? Well, if, if, you, take a, if you take an indifferent, if, if the foundation of all things is valueless matter, valueless substance, whatever, whether spiritual or material substance, and you, you create beings out of them, and there's no actual value in things— and the gods themselves are that way, or there are no gods and it's the universe, then tribalism must necessarily grow up because all I care about is my stomach, so to speak. Right? I want my people to win. I want my group to have stuff. And these are the gods of the Greeks. This is, this is what Plato was criticizing Euthyphro for. Um, Kronos was a selfish jerk. Uh, so was uh, his father, Heaven. And, and, and they're all selfish and self-centered. And because of that, um, uh, and, but that's, that grows up not out of value existing in the world, but no value existing in the world. It's not, it's not a matter of seeing value in the world that makes you tribalistic. It's not a matter of seeing that the world is infused with value that makes you tribalistic. It's a matter of seeing that, of perceiving only the value in the things you care about. That's the problem. Yes. It, and that it, arises when there is no value because then you just project your own value on it. Right. Or, or at least when we try to act like there's no value apart from what we naturally see, you know, the, the right. value that we, we naturally hold. Or, or what we've been trained to believe, right? Yeah. So I could grow up thinking, you know, uh, I don't want to, you know, I grew up in northern Indiana. And so northern Indiana is the best place and everyone here is good and everyone else is monstrous aliens and they need to be shot. And that's a little extreme, but it could be something like that, right? Or, you know, maybe a, my, like my dad grew up Amish, as, as Joel had the same sort of experience, um, not growing up Amish, but connections with Amish. And I could believe yes. that those, those who are not Amish are outsiders and they're whatever, you know. We always have the, the inside and the outside crowd. And this is what Weinstein's concerned about. But the thing is, right. a, a universe with no value encourages us to care about our crowd and to not care about them. It's, it actually creates tribalism because the, if the universe doesn't care about anyone, why should I? I'll just care about those right. that I easily care about. I will not engage my imagination. It'll be those that, I, that I've been trained from childhood to care about. But I have no, nothing calling right. me to care beyond my tribe. Right, which is why Travis and I keep beating the drum of there's value in the world. There's value in the world that we have to train ourselves to see. Yes. And, and, and so the, the difference is if we recognize that we might not have it all right in our natural dispositions, that there might be something that's more than what we see, then, then that's going to push us away from tribalism and rather push us toward helping each other see the value well and see it correctly. Yeah. And yeah. 
Go ahead. Well, what Weinstein says is he, he wants us to be able to work on global governance by concern over mass extinction because of all these technologies we have developed. But that doesn't encourage me to engage my imagination to care about my neighbor, to care about the people or care about the person outside my tribe. But Jesus does. And in fact, if Jesus is not simply a guy who walked around saying, everyone try to be nice to each other because we're all going to die if we don't. He's saying uh, that that's a little bit of a straw man, but bear with me. Uh, look, we're all going to die if we don't learn to get along. Look how much you hate being killed by the Romans. Come on, let's be nice to each other. But Jesus is, in fact, a reflection of the metaphysical ground of all being. Then suddenly I'm like, what he values, if I don't value that, I need to change because I'm not seeing things correctly. I'm called to engage my imagination, to care for my, to love my enemy, right? That's what he calls for. And he shows how to do it. As he's dying on the cross, he's like, Father, forgive them. As, as all these people who keep rejecting him and failing him, God becomes flesh and dwells among us. That's how much he cares about us is he doesn't just love us from afar where he doesn't get his, our dirt on him. He loves us wh- even when he's with us. And we're abusing him, mistreating him, misunderstanding him, hating him, condemning him. He still just keeps showing love because he sees value where, and, and we don't. He sees value that we're not seeing. And if he is not God, then, well, those are some nice ideas, but why should I care? Unless you can prove to me that I should care. Right. And threat of death is one way to do that, I suppose. So, you know, but, but, but that, that's a very negative way to motivate people because, you know, Jesus didn't come to bring not death. He came to bring life. He came to bring Peace, and not peace in the absence of conflict, but in wholeness, in a flourishing life, in a flourishing community, in wholeness, and um, working towards that, and having that vision, and recognizing the the values that are in the world that help lead in that direction, is a much, much, much different project than um, just trying to make sure we don't kill each other, or that we don't destroy the world so it kills us, or or, you know, and, and those are those are the positives of on Weinstein's view, and you know, let alone the the negative tribal aspect. Um, we're called to to more, and it's only through Jesus and through recognizing the value, seeing the value, and and preparing ourselves for that. the The arrival of Christ changes everything, which we'll talk about next week, and. Advent is a time of preparation for that. It's like, you know, I mean, a, a poor example is you know, if you're watching a TV show and you know there's a twist coming, but you don't know what the twist is, but you know it's coming. You kind of, you know, your body is preparing itself. You know, you feel nervous. You you, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're, you're getting ready because you know something's going to change. Um, you know, in, in other, there are other situations in life where you know something, you know, first time parents, or actually anytime you have a kid, um, <laughs> you know things are going to change. And so you're trying to prepare yourself. And it's not, it's not like a dreading preparing, it's like a hopeful because you, you know that this is something good that's coming, but it's going to change everything and your life is never going to be the same. And, and so you, you, start to think in different terms than you've been thinking. You, you, 
you know, with 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 this, the you know, Advent is about working to change our perceptions so that when Jesus shows up, that we become more habitually inclined to see things the way he does. And to recognize him. And to recognize him. Yeah. And so what what we've been talking about while it seems like it's it, it has been wondering and wandering, um, this is all getting to this idea of we need to be able to recognize Jesus and see the world like Jesus does. And the ways we do that, the role of faith, the role of all these other things that we've talked about is leading up to this. It's preparation for the coming of Jesus so we can see him and see like him. Thank you so much. Uh, if, if you're still listening, uh, I am Travis. I'm Joel, and have a great day.